changing gears a little bit, and I want to give you a heads up that we will be, we have five Wednesdays in this month. Uh, it's the first of the month. And uh, so there'll be five Wednesdays, today being the first. And after these five Wednesdays, we will be taking the month of July off of Wednesday nights in our gatherings. And we're going to be doing something a little different during that time. Elders are going to be using that time for some planning, some training, and some forward thinking, and, and, uh, and also some other things that are yet to come. So uh, just know and, and that over the next five weeks, we're going to be talking about the Christian worldview. And then after that, we're going to take the month of July off, and then we're going to start back together after that. Okay? So just a little heads up on that. So tonight, we're talking about a biblical worldview. And yes, this is, uh, this is something that we need to be considering together, and it is definitely something we've talked about uh, already together on multiple occasions. But there is always, always a need for us to readdress this issue. And actually, the reason for readdressing this issue appears in itself in the material. So we're going to look at it, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I mean. Now, there's been a survey done, and several people have brought this to my attention, and it's getting a lot of press or publicity or whatever you want to say right now. If you've not seen it, um, then I'm kind of surprised. But there's been a recent survey done, and so I have that on the screen for you. And this is the percentage of Christian pastors that possess a biblical worldview. And the survey was completed on May 10th of this year. And it was done by the American, it was called the American Worldview Inventory 2022, done by Arizona Christian University. And Barna has been the one to publish it. So, all that being said, a thousand pastors were uh, interviewed with some 42, I believe, questions. And based on those 42 questions, um, they were trying to determine what their worldview was. And here's, here's the results that 41% of senior pastors had a biblical worldview. 28% of associate pastors had a biblical worldview. 13% of teaching pastors, 12% of children and youth pastors, and only 4% 4, 4 of executive pastors, the guys handling the money, had a biblical worldview. So 4%. Interesting, right? Okay, so uh, in grand total, if you were to take all this and kind of average it, so that's 30% of all Christian pastors have a biblical worldview according to this survey. Now, there's a lot unsaid here. Well, what kind of questions were they asked, and what does all this mean? Well, actually, if you just take it at face value, certainly some of the questions they were asked were simply about things like, do you believe that Jesus is the only way into salvation? No. Well, you don't have a biblical worldview then. Do you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman only? No. Well, you don't have a biblical worldview then. You understand the kind of questions that were being asked? 42 of those. So it was pretty detailed, right? And after all those questions, the results came in that only 37% of all Christian pastors have a biblical worldview. So we might have a couple of questions at this point. One of those being, well, what is a biblical worldview? How do we define that? What is that exactly? Biblical worldview. How do we define that? What is that exactly? What do we 
kind of just one of those worldview books that a lot of people go back to and study of worldviews. And, and so he said it this way, a, con a conceptual scheme by which we concisely or, or consciously or unconsciously uh, place or fit everything we believe and by which we interpret and judge reality. See, I think we don't really talk like that or think like that, but he does. So let's go to another one. And there's nothing, that's a great uh, definition, I think, actually, but what does that mean? James Sire, which I like a lot in his book, Naming the Elephant, he says, a worldview is the fundamental perspective from which one addresses every issue of life. And I think we're starting to get a lot more practical here, right? What is a worldview? A worldview is the fundamental perspective from which one addresses every issue of life. But I think we can even make it more plain. And so that's my definition, okay? My definition is a worldview is the lens through which each person views the world. That's pretty simple, isn't it? A proper worldview has a comprehensive view of reality. And by comprehensive view, I mean you're able to answer the most fundamental questions about why things exist. What, why are there people and not something else? Why is there something rather than nothing? Why do we exist rather than not existing? What is our purpose for being here? Where did we come from? Where are we going? Big questions. Like, we have to know the beginning and the end and the thing in between. It has to be comprehensive. If a worldview is not comprehensive, then I would say that's not a worldview at all because it doesn't have all the answers. Now, the answers may be wrong in your worldview, but at least you have one, right? Okay. So we're getting an idea of what a worldview is, and I, I really wanted to make sure that it's really, really clear when the night is over what a worldview is, what a Christian worldview is, and why there is a necessity for us in our church tonight to talk about a biblical worldview. So a worldview is the lens through which each person views the world, the way we make sense of the world around us, what it is, how it works, the way we interpret life itself is a worldview. We're going to talk about a poem that was written in 1872. Now, this is a poem. It's basically uh, an, an iteration of an age-old story. Um, basically, the, the first time the story is ever found written is 500 B.C. And, uh, but it's one of those stories or concepts or uh, fables that is given down verbally through time, and it changes kind of like there's different versions of it throughout history, Okay. And, but there's a famous uh, version of it by a guy named uh, John Godfrey Sachs, and he wrote a poem about it. And so I'm going to read the poem uh, first before you put that up there, Jimmy, okay? I'm going to read the poem for you first. Just listen. I want you to just picture what I'm reading, okay? This is called The Blind Men and the Elephant. It was six men... Six men of Indostan, to learning much inclined, who went to see the elephant, though all of them were blind, that each by observation might satisfy his mind. Got that picture? Six blind men. Someone said to them, hey, here's an elephant. And they all went, well, what's an elephant? And so they said, here, we'll lead you to the elephant. So the six men walk over to the elephant to satisfy their mind about what an elephant is. They want to touch it. 
The first approached the elephant and happening to fall against his broad and sturdy side at once began to bawl. God bless me, but the elephant is very like a wall. Well, why did he think it was like a wall? Because he was at the giant belly or side of the elephant and he felt of it. And what did it feel like? It just feels like a wall. Well, that's an elephant, I guess. The second feeling of the tusk cried, Ho, what have we here? So very round and smooth and sharp. To me, tis mighty clear, the wonder of an elephant is very like a spear. So in his mind, the second blind man, well, he was led over to the tusk. And he starts to feel of the tusk. And what was it? Sharp and long. So what did it feel like to him? A spear. The third approached the animal and happening to take the squirming trunk within his hands, thus boldly up and spake, I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a snake because he's holding the trunk. That's all he knows of the elephant is the trunk. And to him, it, well, it's like a snake. The fourth reached out his eager hand and felt about the knee. What most this wondrous beast is like a mighty plain, quoth he. Tis clear enough the elephant is like a tree. Because he's feeling the giant leg of the elephant. Feels like a tree to me. Fifth, the fifth one who chanced to touch the ear said, Eden the blindest man can tell what resembles this most. Deny the fact who can. This marvel of an elephant is very like a fan. Think of a fan like either of a giant leaf that you hold with a fan or like one of those uh, uh, eastern fans that you hold, you, you pull out and it expands. So think of an elephant ear. Well, it's kind of like that. The sixth, the final one. The sixth no sooner had begun about the beast to grope than seizing on the swinging tail that fell within his scope. I see, quoth he, the elephant is very like a rope. And so, this is, this is the end of the poem. He's given us a summary, okay? Poem is over, but he still ends in, in two, uh, uh, with two thoughts for us here. And so these men of Indostan disputed loud and long, each of his own opinion, exceeding stiff and strong, though each was partly in the right and all were in the wrong. So oft in theologic wars, the disputants, I ween, rail in utter ignorance of what each of them mean, and prat about an elephant not one of them has seen. We're all wrong. None of us knows. We're all blind. Nobody knows reality. Is that true? I'm getting mixed responses here because maybe you don't understand the question. Can we know truth? Yes, what this is saying is there is no truth to be known that anybody can ever figure out. You're all blind. You're all arguing about stuff you don't even understand. That's what all the major world religions are about. That's what all the philosophies are about. Nobody understands anything, and yet everybody's trying to convince each other of their own perspective, but nobody understands it to begin with. Wrong. That's incorrect. But this very much helps us to understand the idea of a worldview, doesn't it? I have a different idea of trying to explain or illustrate this idea of a worldview. But before we do, uh, here is someone's visual interpretation of what we just talked about. 
there's the elephant, there's the blind men, and all they can touch is what's right in front of them, so that's all they know. But what if there was a perspective where there was someone who wasn't blind and who could step back and actually see it for what it is? What about that perspective? Does that perspective exist? Someone who can actually see the elephant for what it is? Or are all of us just blind? You get the idea? I'd like to uh, illustrate it this way for you. So this is a picture of the earth, if you can tell. Okay? Yes, it's in black and white. This is a picture of the earth that we live on. This represents the world. This represents everything in the world. This represents you, your neighbor. This represents your marriage. This represents your thoughts. This represents life and death. This represents joy and tragedy. This represents all religions. This represents every single thing in the world. Everything we see and we know and we experience, that's what the world represents right now, okay? Now, all of us are looking at the world. We're looking at the world around us. We're looking in our own hearts. We're looking in our own minds. We're looking at all this different stuff that happens to us, all these different beliefs, and we're looking at it. And what do we see? Well, as we look at the world, we're looking at the world like, like this. We're looking at the world through glasses or through lenses, right? You able to track with me, Jimmy? There we go. So this is us. We're standing back here, and those are the glasses that we're wearing, okay? Now, wouldn't it be great if the glasses that we were wearing were clear and gave us a great view of the world, and we could see it for just as it is? Wouldn't that be great? What we see, we can understand. We see it clearly. I know what it is. I look at humanity, and I can see what it is. I know what it is. You understand? I see marriage. I know what it is. I see parenthood. I know what it is. I see death. I know what that is. Get the idea? But here's the problem is that that's not the way we see. But instead we see more like this. We see possibly like this. Because the glasses that we're wearing aren't giving us a proper view of reality. Everything we see is tinted a particular color. It's not right. If all you see is through red lenses, guess what everything you see is going to be tinted? Red. But is it actually tinted red? No, but that's the way you see it. Or maybe you see it this way. Maybe you see everything tinted green. And so everything comes back tinted green. Someone next to you is wearing a set of red lenses, but you're wearing a set of green lenses, and you both look at something. Do you see the same thing? You see different things, don't you? Someone sees something red, and the other person sees something green. You following what I'm saying? Everyone is wearing lenses. You can't take them off. You have them. Everyone has lenses. Some have lenses that look like this. They look like 
a different color. What's going on here? Are there just an endless amount of colors? We all see the world differently and no one is right and no one is wrong? Is that the point? The point here is that reality does exist. The world is really there. But can we see it for what it is? Can you see yourself for who you truly are? Can you make sense of yourself? Why am I here? Can you see yourself for what you really are? Have you answered that question? Why are you on this planet? Why work? Why be careful with my money? Why go to church? Why read my Bible? Why do anything? How do you make sense of it all? Should I sleep tonight? Should I not sleep tonight? Should I be faithful to my spouse? Should I not be faithful to my spouse? You get how deep this goes? Everything in your life is filtered through a lens. What color is your lens? What is our goal? The point here is that all of us look through lenses to see the world and our lenses are all a little bit different. And so I'll say this before one more thing is that what, what is a worldview then? A worldview can fit into big, broad categories, but each person naturally has a unique worldview makeup. And so let me tell you what I mean by that. In the South, most particularly in the southeastern United States, and in particular in rural areas, there is a dominant worldview. Can anyone tell me what that worldview is? Christianity. Let's say Christianity is a worldview, so we can call it blue. Worldview, the worldview of blue is Christianity. Are we all wearing purely blue lenses tonight? And all we see is the world through the lens of Christianity purely. That's the only world I see. So you get what I'm saying. Look at this next picture. That is what our worldview looks like. Is that we see the world through Christianity, yes. But then you also see it through your childhood. You see it through your tragedies. You see it through other philosophies that you've learned in life. You see it through books you've read, movies you've watched, friends you have. Everything around you since birth has been shaping the way you view the world, and it's not a pretty clear picture. The way you view the world isn't perfectly crystal clear. Do you feel that? You feel it in yourself. There are things I don't understand. I want to understand. I want to understand certain things. You know what? I feel like I should understand that thing. There are other things, though. Think about what it would be to wear red lenses your entire life. Would that be normal to you? It would be normal to you to see things tinted red, right? Do you know that you wouldn't even know that things were tinted red if all you ever saw was red? Do you realize that? And then one day you took the red lenses off and everything was different? Can you imagine that? But when you saw things in red, it would feel comfortable to you, right? This is kind of what it's like to be a Christian, is that there is a particular way the sinful us 
the clouded us, the darkened us, the blinded us, used to see the world, used to see everything. But now we are to see things a different way. We are to change our lenses. You get what I'm saying? But there are broad categories like Christianity or a certain philosophy or naturalism or what there are there are lots of things that you could just say those are my general lenses but each person is his own individual okay we all see the things a little bit different you know this even in your spouse or your children they say things and you say I don't see it that way right we all look at the world a little different okay what are the big, basic worldview questions that we can ask to determine how do you see the world, generally speaking? In other words, when I meet you or you meet someone else or you're evaluating yourself, you ask the question, okay, listen, I understand that I view the world a particular way. Am I viewing the world the right way? We should ask that question. How do I know whether I'm viewing the world the right way or not? Well, ask yourself these four questions, and it will help to determine the broad category of worldview that you fit into. Those four basic questions are, how did we get here? That is humanity, the world, the material universe. How did it get here? Ask that question to any individual. How many answers are you going to get? Are you going to get a lot of different types of answers to that one? Next, you ask the question, what is the problem? Because all of us admit that there is a problem here on earth, right? Because things are not perfect. So why not? What's the problem? What's the issue? Ask the question, what is the general issue with, with life? Why are there problems? Are you always going to get the same answer? Are you going to get different answers from people? So are you going to get to understand the way they view the world? Next, what's the solution to the problem? Next, what happens when we die? You going to get the same answer from everybody on that one? No. Now, generally speaking, we have all already answered all these questions from a what worldview? From a Christian or biblical worldview. So then we have to ask the question, what do we mean by that? What is a biblical worldview? And the biblical worldview that these pastors are not having, what do we mean by that? What is a worldview? What is a biblical worldview? A biblical worldview. I, I have a simple definition. When the Bible becomes the lens through which a person views the world. That's pretty simple, isn't it? But understand what that takes. Were you born viewing the world through the lens of the Bible? Does it take faith to view the world through the lens of the Bible? Have you always had faith? So even if you have information about the Bible, does it mean that you've always had a biblical worldview? No. You cannot have a biblical worldview unless you actually have faith in what the Bible says because you have to see with eyes of faith. Has to be what the Bible has said about it. In other words, you are not free to say what something is 
you have to look through the Bible to tell you what that thing is, and then you know what it is. The Bible tells us what humanity is. The Bible tells us where we came from. The Bible tells us what marriage is. The Bible tells us what the problem is. The Bible tells us all these things. So we must be careful to always wear biblical lenses. The question, for some of you, 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 you could have led us through that these last 15 minutes. I understand that. It's very basic. But let me ask you a question. Currently in your life, do you view every single thing in your life through the lenses of Scripture? Why not? If you already know all this information, it's so basic to you. Why don't you do it? So we got an issue, don't we? That is the issue I want to address. Let's look at Romans 12 for a few moments. Romans 12, verse 2. Romans 12, verse 2. I have it on the screen for you. It says... Do not be conformed to this world. The word world there um, actually means age. This, this time, the people of this time, the thoughts of this time, of this age is what that means. But instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Tell me. Do you see the implications for a biblical worldview in, in just this one verse? Do not be conformed in your thinking to the way other people of this age think. Why is there a warning there? Because it's what you will do naturally because you love the lenses of the sinful world. You want to wear the lenses of the sinful world. You like them. You think things look better through them. Don't you see that? You like putting those glasses on. Things are more comfortable to you when you put those lenses on. When I put biblical lenses on, things get tough. Things get challenging. I can't just do whatever I want. I can't just think whatever I want. No, things have to be different for me. So do you see a temptation to take off your biblical lenses or to do the thing where you put a bunch of glasses on. You're like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it through the lens of the Bible, but did you also hear about this philosophy? See, I didn't think you did. So you got to wear those lenses too or you can't see the world properly. you got to wear biblical lenses and this philosophy and then you can see the world rightly, right? Or whatever it may be. It is a warning here against a particular thing known as syncretism. We've talked about that word before. Syncretism. Syncretism simply means a blending of beliefs. That means you don't believe one single thing, 
No, you like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Give me some Christianity. Give me some Buddhism because they got a few things going on. Give me some secular humanism because I'm really into myself. Give me some what, whatever. I like this about that and this about that and this about that. And I blend it together to form my own lenses. Do you see how it works? This is a warning in Romans 12 verse 2 to not do that. Do not be conformed in your thinking to the way the world thinks around you. Why might that be? Because they have no idea what they're talking about. What they told you about that, what they told you about marriage, what they told you about humanity, what they told you about working, what they told you about ethics, what they told you about morality, what they told you about truth-telling, what they told you about everything. Don't you realize they are like the blind people trying to feel around and grope in the darkness to try to figure this world out when we are the ones who have been given the lenses to see it and yet we're trusting them. There is a continual call on the Christian to test your worldview against Scripture. Do you think there are things in your life right now that you say, yeah, I've just, I know that I've not been looking at that thing right. I've been looking at that thing like the world does or just like I want to, the way that it makes me feel best, but I know that's not what scripture has to say about it. What about money? I've not been viewing money through the lens of scripture. I've been viewing it through my own lens that I made myself because that's what makes me feel most comfortable about it but I've not looked at money specifically through the lens of Scripture. What does, what does Scripture have to say about money? Or whatever. There, there, we could list all the things. I mean, we can't, really, but you get how this touches every aspect of your life. It touches everything. Everything. Your attitude. There's nothing that it doesn't touch. The way you dress. Yep, touches that, too. Are you viewing everything in your life through the lens of Scripture? In other words, do you have a biblical worldview, an all-encompassing, complete, pure biblical worldview? No. But understand, that is our goal. That we might understand all things rightly because this is what Romans 12 is talking about. Don't. Don't be conformed to this world, but instead be transformed. In the renewal of your mind, think differently about life. Think differently. Think in a God, godly way about all these things. Not the way you want to think about it. Be transformed. In other words, you were thinking like the world, and you got to stop. You can't do that anymore. You need to be transformed out of that. You have to change. You have to make a change. Don't think that way anymore. I get that you like it but you can't live there anymore. That's not us. You have to be transformed in the way you think. You have to be transformed in the way you think about food, your diet, what you eat, what you consume, how you take care of your body, or do you think like the world? Entertainment, the things you watch, the things you listen to. You can't be like the world. You have to be transformed in your thinking. You need to think the way Scripture has said about those things. Transformed in the rule of our, uh, renewal of our minds. A warning against syncretism. Syncretism, by the way, this has been a struggle for God's people forever. 
Think about the Israelites in Canaan. Don't be like them. Don't think like them. Don't have the same gods they have. Don't do that. Don't mix their beliefs with true beliefs. Don't do it. But what did they do? They did it anyway. Now you're going to Babylon. Don't think like they do. Don't act like they do. Don't be like them. What did they do? Well, they just did it anyway. They just added what they did. Seven churches in Asia Minor, the seven churches in Revelation. Don't think like them. Don't be like them. Don't trust those philosophies. Don't trust those false teachers. What did they do? They added stuff to what they believed. And so they continued to do this over and over. This is also those people that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, the secessionists. What made them secede or be removed from the church? Their beliefs. They started adding things and taking things away from true belief to mirror what people believed around them. Syncretism. A mixing of beliefs to make it look like however you want it to look. Do you think that the church today is a a church filled with people who are syncretists? They believe a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But in the end of the day, it's not a whole lot of what the Bible says. What do you think? Do you think the church is filled with people who have a purely biblical worldview for the most part? They at least attempt to. Or do they like the Bible for the most part, but they add a lot of other things to it that aren't necessarily biblical? Well, I guess we have to go back to our little survey, don't we? Why is it that the pastors, on average, only 37% have a biblical worldview? I would argue that it's because their churches are primarily filled with people who are not believers and therefore cannot stand to hear what they have to say, and so they compromise what they're saying so as to appease the masses. That's what's happening. Oh, that is how they really feel. That is how they really feel. I'm not saying that they're, uh, well, some people are. Some people are masquerading it around and they're like, oh, I don't really want to do that, but I am anyway. No, 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 no. They actually do change. They change their beliefs. Actually, that is a lot of what's happening right now is that people used to be thinking a particular way and now they've modified and they're like, yeah, I'm not that anymore. I don't think that anymore. Now I think this. And if the pastors are that way, what does that say of the congregations? What's happening in those churches? Why don't the people have a biblical worldview? Huh? It's a vicious cycle, isn't it? How can a church have a biblical worldview if the Bible is not being preached? There's a lot of preaching about the Bible, but there is not a lot of preaching of the Bible. There is a lot of preaching about morality. There is a lot of preaching about changing behaviors. There is a lot of preaching about philosophies and politics. There is a lot of preaching about concepts, steps, how-tos, guides. And there's nuggets of truth thrown in there. There are, there's scripture thrown in there. But these are concepts and ideas 
preaching about the Bible or preaching about concepts. Preaching about the Bible is not preaching the Bible. Why do I bring that up? Two more passages I want to reference here tonight. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 14, and again, I have that on the screen. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood and to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that, so that, we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and the craftiness and deceitful schemes. So it begins from a top-down structure. There is a plan. There is a plan for God's church so that we might not all be just tossed around. Why would we be tossed around by thoughts? Because we don't know what to believe because we don't know what the scriptures have to say about it. So when we hear something, we don't know what to believe. I don't know if that's true or not. It sounds good to me, so I guess we'll go with it. Get the idea? And all of a sudden, before you know it, you've put on a new set of lenses, but you thought they were biblical lenses, but they're not. It's something foreign. And that's scary, in a sense, because I thought what I, the way I was viewing that was right. Have you ever been in a circumstance where you thought you were viewing something the correct way only to find out that is not what the scriptures had to say? I thought I was right about that, but turns out I'm not. And it's almost like someone just took the cover off my eyes. I can see it for the first time. Right. That's exactly what it's like. final place I'll go and the reason that I, I brought up preaching and how all these things fit together is this 2 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 4 I charge you so Paul writing to Timothy I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom here's the charge preach the word be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate teachers for themselves to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. But what's the charge of the church? What is the charge of pastors? So let them hear the myths and the fables and just tell them what they want to hear then. Because if you don't, they'll leave. And you can't have people leaving. You need their money because your job depends on it. Less people, less money, less money, less way to pay me. And if you can't pay me, what am I going to do? That's hard. But the charge from Scripture is this. Preach the word in season and out of season and do what? Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience in teaching. This is what we all need. We all need. We all need biblical teaching constantly because we have to be refining our lenses, making sure that all the things that we're looking at together are what scripture has to say about it. And how do we know that? 
is that we bring the word. And so, yes, the concept we're talking about tonight as we gather together is a philosophical concept. But it helps us to understand what is the purpose of all of this? It helps us to understand that if we're not careful, we're not going to be viewing things rightly. And because I know all of you, some of you a lot better than others, but I know I know all of you. I know that there are certain things that I could bring up to you and say, how do you view that? Do you think that matches up with scripture? And we'll say, yeah, we have some work to do in that area, don't we? Not, not viewing that quite right. But that's the way that it is. Is that not like the overarching theme of why we gather and why we are a church is because we are collectively constantly wanting to understand what is the will of God? What does God have to say? What is the word? And think about it. If we are all together viewing things that same way, is there not encouragement and strength and support that comes with that because we're all looking at it the same way? In other words, when we all look at parenting the same way, is that not encouraging for parents? Rather than being in a community where, well, you have this view that's really different. I don't understand that. And you have this view that's really different. I don't really understand that. We don't view this thing the same way. Or marriage. I bring these things up because these are prominent. These are like big issues, right? Things that we need help with. How do we understand money and work? How do we understand knowledge? Is, it, is knowledge a good thing? How do we understand caring and loving for one another? If we all view these things the same way through the lens of Scripture. Now, if we all view things the same way, you could very well just call us a cult. Because that's what a cult is. They all view things the same way, right? It doesn't make them right, does it? No. But if we take Scripture as our lens, and we together as a community are trying to view the world the best we can through the lens of Scripture... This is what God is calling us to, to view things together rightly according to his word. And so we want to be careful to do so. So what I'm going to be doing over these next four weeks is laying out for you four major competing worldviews with Christianity, with a biblical worldview, and comparing how we ought to view things through the lens of Scripture and how they are telling us or telling the world this is how we view things and we think we've got it right. Okay? We're going to look at four major worldviews that are competing right now for your attention and for my attention because it could be that these major concepts in the world, we are seeing things almost slightly through that lens because it sounds so appealing to us, but I want to make sure that I'm not. I want to guard myself against it. So, in understanding what is incorrect about their view and what is correct about the biblical view, we can be careful so as to not believe that and be tempted with it. Does that make sense? If we know the area and I tell all of us, there's a hole right there, don't step in it, 
then you're going to be more careful not to step in it. But if I never draw it out, we don't talk about it, some of us are going to step in it. Get what I'm saying? So, four weeks, four major worldview concepts that we need to guard against. And then also, in all of those, every time we're looking at those, we're going to look at Scripture, we're going to look at the biblical worldview, what Scripture has to say about these ideas. Okay? So that hopefully, by the end of these four weeks, that we can be walking away and saying, I have a clearer picture of the biblical worldview because I know it's not these things. And so when I know it's not that, it becomes much more clear and focused for me the way we should be thinking about it. And when I hear someone talking about it this way, I need to make a clear distinction that, yeah, I don't view it that way. Scripture doesn't view it that way. Here's what Scripture has to say about that. And be able to lead people back to Scripture rather than accidentally saying, I agree with you. Yeah, that is a good way of looking at that. Not realizing that they are attempting to put their lens and their worldview on you but you don't even know. I didn't know that that wasn't right. So, it's apologetic in nature. Helps us in evangelism. Helps us in thinking through the world that we live in. And so, uh, hopefully this will be a time uh, over four weeks that's beneficial to us. Okay? Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together tonight. And uh, just being able to talk, just kind of an introduction to these concepts and, and uh, as we open your word and as we try to look and evaluate the world around us, that even in, in, in our evaluations, we need to be looking through scripture to evaluate the world around us. We have to. So I pray that as we consider these things over the next couple of weeks, that you would help us to see clearly, help us to understand your word, help us to be faithful to it because living through a biblical worldview, looking at the world as, as it truly is, as you have said, is a matter of faith. And I pray that you would increase our faith, that you would give us understanding. Let us be bold with the truth of your word in this world. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. Well, thank you so